Well, good morning. It's good to be here with everyone this morning. I do uh, see visitors here. If I have not had the chance to meet you, I would love to be able to meet you today. Please give me the opportunity to do so. Uh, after communion, I will be headed down there, though, for the baptism. So if you can, I would encourage you to stay for that, for that time, one time of testimony, wonderful time of what the Lord is doing in the lives of his people. We are going to continue our study in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible this morning in front of you, in the pew underneath you, there may be a copy of the New American Standard Version. We have them spread out throughout, and so you're encouraged to follow along in the Word of God this morning. That's why we're here. We're here to study the Word of God. We're here to say, what does the Lord say in His Word, and how then are we to respond? So here we are, once again, our third teaching, I believe it is, in John chapter 11. Well, many of us have heard um, of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. You've heard of Thomas Jefferson, you've read about Thomas Jefferson, but his Bible uh, was a copy of the Bible with all references to the supernatural cut out. Jefferson, in making his selections from the Bible, confined himself solely to the moral teachings of Jesus. The closing words of Jefferson's Bible are, There they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone to the mount of the sepulcher and departed. If our Bible ended like that, it would mean an impossibility for other resurrections. But thank God our Bible does not end like that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is our living hope, is the living hope for those who are Christians. Right about smack dab in the middle of our study in chapter 11, verse 1 through 46, we see a statement by the Lord, another I am statement. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asks a question to Martha and a question that all have to answer today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? So we start here in verse 1 for the context. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he he who you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because... 
the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may waken him out of his sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Our text for us this morning. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again and the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Lord, again, I ask for your help. I ask God that you would use your word as only you can for the glory of Jesus Christ this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So first we see here, they were gathering and they were grieving. They were gathering and they were grieving. Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany, as we looked at before, as we examined briefly before, was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother who died. Now, burial in these times was not something that was delayed, usually. Ananias and Sapphira, for example, were buried immediately after they died. You can read that in Acts chapter 5. And after the crucifixion of the Lord, Joseph of Arimathea asked permission of Pilate to take Jesus' body for proper burial, John 19. Burial was important in Jewish culture during that time. Also, the mentioning of four days here is significant. There was an ancient Jewish belief that may have been during this time as well. It was around in 220. But nevertheless, this belief that the soul stayed near the body in the grave for three days with the hope of being able to return to the body on the fourth day. Then the soul, as the belief indicates, as the belief goes, sees the decomposition of the body and then decides to leave. The body of Lazarus was in the tomb already for four days. Bethany, about two miles away, Jerusalem. Thousands of people in Jerusalem, even more so, More people in Jerusalem at this time. And then all the people in the the small place, the small town of Bethany, 
And so people were coming and going, specifically to see Mary and Martha. It's also noteworthy of how close Jesus was to Jerusalem for the final days of his life. Here he was. The the climax is afoot. The crucifixion is near, and he is very close this would happen. Now, there was a mixed bag of people as far as their feelings towards Jesus that came to visit Mary and Martha. Verse 37. Some of them said, could this man, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So there was doubt about who Jesus was. There was hostility uh, of who Jesus is. But in verse 45, we see, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw that he, what he had done, believed in him. So we have a mixed group, a mixed bag of people, as far as how they are towards Jesus Christ, just as there is a mixed bag today, a mixed group of people in here today. There are those who love Jesus Christ, who have been born again, and there are those who hate God. There is a mixed group. Leon Morris says, speaking of the grieving family, at their funeral itself, the mourning, the mourners were left alone with their sorrows. And the friend refrained, their friends refrained from speaking to them. But later, it was expected that visits for consolation would be made, and the, and the Jews related uh, this duty highly. When people came to console grieving family members of a lost loved one, they did not necessarily uh, come to, as we would have a wake, or come to greet, as as we do in our culture today. Perhaps we know someone, uh, their family member, someone's family member died, and we go and we visit and we pay our respects if if we can, and we we give them a hug and we give them our condolences, we send them a card, we, we send them flowers. Sometimes we stay longer, depending on the relationship there. But here, in this time, in in these circumstances, it was common for people to stay a while, for a period of time. Alfred Erdesheim, a scholar who writes um, about the times of Jesus, the, the life and times of Jesus Christ, he speaks of a threefold division in the time of mourning. The first three days of weeping, and then deep mourning for the rest of the week, and then lighter mourning for the remainder of 30 days. So as they were grieving and as they were gathered, we see the Lord is poised to intervene. Just as when we at times are grieving and when we are gathered and when we are hurting, we look to the Lord to intervene and to help us. And so we see, secondly, this flourishing faith of Martha. This flourishing faith of Martha. When she heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the home. In the Greek here, this uh, indicates, this lays, lays it out for us that Mary was sitting at home. As we have been reminded in the past two weeks, 
we find Martha on the move, serving the Lord with various different tasks. And she's, she's serving tables. She's, she's doing this. She's, she's doing that. She's the energizer bunny. But we find Mary at the feet of Jesus Christ, learning from him. Receiving his word, listening to his word. A similar activity here. Martha heard Jesus was coming, and she is up and she is out to meet him. Mary stays seated at the house. Now remember Mary. The one, I want to hear what Jesus has said. I'm going to be at Jesus' feet. That's where you say, where's Mary at? We know where she is. She's at the feet of Jesus Christ. She wants to learn. She wants to know the Savior. And here she's back at home, sitting down. But we must not be hard on Mary because of this. It was common for those who were mourning in this period of time to sit on a stool that was low to the ground or to sit on the ground as they mourned. While others came in, they would console them and that they would be on the ground at times with them, consoling them. We find something similar early on in Job. Chapter 2, verse 13. I'll just read it for us. No need to turn there. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, no one speaking a word to him, for they saw his pain was very great. And just as an application for us, we know when we try to help someone who is grieving, they've lost someone. We know there's certain times to say something. There's certain things to say to them. And there's times we just need to keep our mouth closed and listen. Two ears, one mouth. And offer only things that would be consoling to them. We learn from the actions of these ladies in Luke 10 and here in John 11 that there's a time for sitting and meditating on the Word, reflecting and learning, and there's a time for bold, active activity in our life. Sitting and learning like Mary and bold activity for the Lord like Martha. But let me be careful to say this. You cannot be a Martha without first being a Mary. If you try to serve and you say, well, I'm just going to serve. I'm not even concerned about uh, his word, really, or knowing him more. It does not go that way. We must first know who the Lord is. First sit at his feet. And then there's times when we're active and there's times when we go back. Sitting at Jesus' feet. So we do both. But Mary, at this time, she wasn't uh, on the move with Martha, and she missed out on this declaration, as Jesus said it the first time. She wasn't there to hear what Jesus said to Martha, that I am the resurrection and the life. This I am statement. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I ask... Excuse me, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. Some say that this is, theologians would say that this is a rebuke from Martha to Jesus. Similar to what she said to Jesus in in Luke chapter, 
10, I believe it was, when Mary was not helping to serve, and she said, have them help me. Have her to help me. But this, others say this is more of a regret. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. In Luke 10, verse 40, no doubt she was rebuking the Lord or trying to, but here Martha greets Jesus with more of a regret that he was not there since Lazarus died, knowing that Jesus could have prevented it. No doubt the sisters, as they were grieving, would say this, Uh, to one another. Verse 32, Mary said the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Mary saying this, Martha is saying this. No doubt they were saying this as as Lazarus first, first died and they were grieving over his body right there before he went into the tomb and afterwards. Only if the Lord had been here, he wouldn't have died. With this mindset, Martha hears Jesus is coming. And with all emotions that she has, with everything that she is going through, with everything she has learned about Christ thus far in her life, with profound faith, she goes to meet Jesus before he even gets to the house. She hears he is coming and she, she goes. On one hand, she realizes the power of Jesus, but on the other hand, she limits Jesus by space. If only you had been here. Earlier in John chapter 4, verse 50, an official son was healed, and Jesus was not physically there. Martha speaks uh, unfiltered with what is on her heart, as, as we ought to when we approach the Lord. We approach the Lord, we cast all of our cares upon Him, for He indeed cares for us. And I submit to you, that is what Martha is doing here. Richard Phillips says, Martha's anguished mind lost hold of this truth. When eyes that are clouded with tears fail to see, and when trembling hands lose their grip on faith, our calling is not to rebuke them for unbelief, but to gently remind them of the grace and truth of the Lord. She's not thinking of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus specifically, because in verse 49, when Jesus is, is ready to do this, she says, wait, 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 don't do this. He's been in the tomb four days. There's going to be a, a stench. If any of you have been at a crime scene or have been in a place uh, where there is decomposition, you know of this stench. Don't do it. There's the stench. There's a great stench. So they were gathering and grieving, but her faith was flourishing. And then there needs to be a resolute reply. That's exactly what Martha 
has. A resolute reply. There is no doubt about who Jesus is or who he was or what he can do or what he has done, rather. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. A general statement referring to resurrection. He will rise again. Comforting words from the Lord. Martha took these words as comforting. She believed. Due to the influence of the Pharisees in part, Pharisees believed that there would be a resurrection. Sadducees, remember Sadducee? They said there is no resurrection. So that was the influence that they had at this time. And she believed that there was a resurrection of the dead. Martha said to him, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, Martha was a budding sheologian. We know what a theologian is. And we want to be theologians. We want to study out the Word of God. We want to study systematic things. We want to understand who Christ is and what He has done for us. Theology is... uh, Very important. She was a sheologian. And I would encourage, oftentimes we think of men studying the word of God. Men have to do this. Men have to do that. Ladies, you are not exempt. You are to be sheologians. You need to know the word of God in order to raise families, in order to submit to your husband, in order to live life, in order to better know Christ. Martha's answer was full of theological knowledge. She has learned and full of faith in Jesus. Jesus already taught on the resurrection on the last day. Matthew, uh, John chapter 5. Let's go there together, if you would, please. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Jesus says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that He will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave life to the Son, excuse me, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Which one will it be for each of you individually this morning on that last day? That's what you have to answer as well. In John chapter 6, this is the will of him who sent me, says the Lord, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. Martha, influenced by the position of the teaching of the Pharisees, 
now coming to a more complete and accurate understanding from Jesus's teachings. In our vernacular, we would say today we come to a better knowledge and understanding of what Jesus teaches teaches by being immersed in the word of God and sitting under the teaching of the word of God. She says this. This is profound what she says. She says, I know. This is steadfast belief. She doesn't say, well, well, it's a possibility. You know, this is what so, so, so and says. So, no, I know steadfast. You will not move me from this. He will rise again. No ifs, ands, buts. He will rise again. In the resurrection, the general resurrection of all, when on the last day, Sheologian right here, Growing in the knowledge of the things of the Lord. Her mindset is on the general resurrection. Lazarus will rise again when Jesus calls him out of the tomb. And Lazarus will rise again on the last day. Why? Because he knew Jesus Christ. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. When Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, he calls him out publicly, calls him out individually, calls him out from death to life. The same thing happens when someone becomes a Christian. Jesus calls that one publicly. There is no secret uh, saying, oh, I, I, you know, I have my religion, I have this, I have that, I don't really talk about it much. That is not Christianity at all. He calls one out publicly. And Jesus calls one out individually. You will stand before God as individuals, not with your spouse, not with your children, not with your parents, but on your own. And Jesus calls one out of being dead in sin to walk in a newness of life. So there is a resolute reply from Martha. And then there is a clear, fourthly, a clear and comforting call. A clear and comforting call from Jesus. This is really the the peak of our study this morning. This is the mountain we sought to climb. We are at the top now when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then the question, do you believe this? Martha's statements open the door for another Great I am declaration from the Lord. The fifth of seven I am declarations. I am the bread of life, he says in John 6. I am the light of the, the, the world, he says in John 8. I am the door, he says in John 10. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, he says in, in John chapter 10. Now as a dead man named Lazarus lies dead in the tomb. He says, with Martha and Mary grieving and with others mourning, Jesus 
says, I am the resurrection and the life. He does not just say that he is one who can give resurrection. He is saying he is the divine author of all resurrection. When one is risen up on the last day, we say Jesus did that. When one is risen up from being dead in their trespasses and sins to walk in a newness of life, this spiritual resurrection, Jesus is the author and perfecter of that as well. For all are born in sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Without Christ is dead in their trespasses and sins. Dead in their transgressions. By nature, a child of wrath, according to Paul in Ephesians. An enemy of God. And at enmity with God. Having an unrepentant heart and storing up wrath for yourself. You mean, people will say, people cannot be good enough to go to heaven when they die? Oh, when you ask someone, where will you spend eternity when you die? And they said, I think I'm going to heaven. You say, why? They say, well, I think I, I'm, I'm a good person. Well, if we take a look at the rich young ruler and we take a look at the Ten Commandments, that will blow that to smithereens in a moment. Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler, Jesus was setting out on a journey, and a man ran up to him and knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Think about that. Jesus is walking, a man, a rich young ruler, comes down, he kneels before him and asks him and addresses him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all that you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come. Follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus looking around said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus, then he doubles down. He says, he answered again and says to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So if there be anyone in here who says, I'm a good person, we considered the Ten Commandments this morning, some of them, First commandment, you shall have no other God before me, says the Lord. Have you ever had any other thing that you've put before the Lord in your life at any point in time since you were born? About right now, what is your God? What would keep you from following Jesus Christ? Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not worship them or serve them. The rich young ruler would not follow Christ, would not submit to Christ, even though at first he acted like it by bowing the knee to Christ, because he had 
an idol, he would, uh, his money, he would not depart from his wealth. That's what would keep him from entering. How about the sixth commandment? You shall not murder. Well, there's probably no one in here, hopefully, that has murdered someone physically. But Jesus says, and I summarize, if you're angry in your heart with your brother, you're a murderer and you're guilty. Seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. You don't have to commit the physical act, but just with the heart and the mind. Eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Ever stolen anything in your life at all? That would make you a thief. Ninth commandment, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. Ever told something that was not true? Told a lie. That would make you a liar. Tenth commandment, you shall not covet. Have you ever desired something in your heart sinfully that is not yours and you would sin to get it if you could? If we're honest with these things, if you're honest with these things, anyone without Christ here is honest with these things, you will admit to being a lying, thieving, murderer at heart, an adulterer, a coveter, and an idolater, and you have to face God on Judgment Day. And without Christ, He will say you are guilty, and He will send you straight to hell. And He will be honored, and He will be glorified in that. On the last day, will you be resurrected to eternal life, or resurrected to spend eternity in hell? Without Christ now, you are dead in sin. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And you cannot possess eternal life without first having been risen from your dead state spiritually. Christ is the resurrection. And only he can give you life. He is the beginning of new life. He is the one who, the one who believes in him will never die, spiritually speaking. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, we'll look at that. We see that. And that covers everybody, so to speak. Everyone. All the sins. And then the good news there. Such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. You were set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. There is no one who was too far gone that God cannot save. And there is no Christian who says, I am backslidden. I, I cannot go back. You must go back. Jesus is saying he is the source of resurrection in life. Everyone who lives and believes in me, he says, will never die. B.B. Warfield puts it like this. Whatever death is, and all that death is, that is what we shall be saved from in this salvation. And whatever life is, and all that life is, that is what we shall be saved to in this salvation. And Jesus stands with arms open wide to whoever would come to him in repentance and faith. He will receive them and adopt them into the family of God. Fifthly, a credible commitment. 
a credible commitment. Jesus asks, do you believe this? A question for Martha. Also a question for each of you here this morning. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Jesus promised life now. And a promised life now in this age. And eternal life in the age to come. Do you believe this? How will you answer this question today? How will you respond to Jesus determines how you will live now. And where you will live in eternity. Heaven or hell. Two options. Two responses. How do you respond to the proclamation of Jesus Christ in Matthew 4 when he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? You see, today there are three people getting baptized. And they are saying, I am following Jesus Christ. He has declared me as dead to sin. They are saying, I'm still a sinner. But I follow Jesus now. He has saved me. And this is a public proclamation. It's done in my life. And they are saying, I stand before all of you now. Saying, I walk with Jesus. I have denied myself. I have taken up my cross. I follow Him. And here is evidence of that. You see, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates His own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you say, I believe in the one who bore my sin in his body on the cross so that I may die to sin and live to righteousness? Can you say, it is by his wounds that I am healed? Can you say that, yes, I believe that he rose again from the dead? Can you agree or do you believe, uh, here's uh, what James Montgomery Boyce says, do you believe that you are sinful? Do you believe that the same God in love and wisdom sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for you, that you might be saved? Do you believe that he opens eyes to see Christ and moves rebellious wills to embrace him to their salvation? Do you believe that he illuminates the written word of God so that those who are saved can understand it and obey it? Do you believe in God's providence by which nothing enters the life of a Christian that is not the product either of God's direct or permissive will? Do you believe that God chastises His children? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? They were gathering and grieving. There's only one who can comfort us. There's only one who can comfort you. That's Jesus Christ. Martha had a flourishing faith. She had a resolute reply. And there's a clear and comforting call. And she had a credible commitment. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to go right into the Lord's Supper. Consider these things. Consider what God said says in John 11, these other texts. Give us great understanding of your word. Help those of us who are Christians to be reminded from your word this morning what we have been saved.
and that you continue to grow us and that we have the responsibility to be at the feet of Christ and we have the responsibility to serve. Thank you that you tell us from your word what a credible commitment to Christ looked like. Thank you, God, that it's only possible with you. Lord, we pray that you would continue to minister to our hearts for the two ordinances of the church this morning. Lord, I pray if there is one who would say, I want to know more about I want to know more what it means. I I want to understand these things. Give them the restlessness of their heart and let them knock on the doors of any of us who are here that we would be willing to take the time and we are willing to take the time today to explain these things. For the glory of Christ, amen.